Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. All right, let's dive into the Word together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2, we are in the fifth part of our series about the life and lessons of David, King David, and his life, and we've really been talking about purpose. We are all created on purpose for a purpose, and we initially have to believe that to continue on the, the process and the journey that God has for every single one of us, and we really define purpose as a combination of every single yes that we say to God in different seasons that he calls us to, different roles and different responsibilities. And our anchor verse has been this, Acts 13, verse 36. And it says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, remember, serving your purpose, it comes down to being willing to give your life to God. And we've, for the last five weeks, we've walked through David's life in the, the field, and there's a gift in every single season. In the field season, the gift is anonymity. In the palace, the gift is opportunity. In the battle, the gift is adversity. And last week, we talked about the wilderness where the gift is character. And this week, I want to focus on the throne. And the gift is power. Now, speaking of the throne, how about the Astros, ladies and gentlemen? I think I woke up saying to myself, singing the song, we are the champions. I don't know about anyone else. Stayed up a little bit later. Didn't even matter that we got one more hour of sleep because I was just so excited. Almost woke up my kids whenever that home run blast happened. Three, uh, three shot home run happened, but I calmed myself back down. But it's been an incredible run. And I, I might wear this hat. Actually, I'm not going to wear this hat because I sweat way too much. But, but it's exciting to be a part of a championship city, championship team. And I just wanted to say that as we begin. All right. Now let's get back into the word, okay? I don't know. As we talk about this word power, many things come to our mind. I don't know if we've ever seen someone. I know they're not here in this room or watching online. But you've ever seen someone when they get promoted into a position of power, it seems like they get on a power trip. We have those words. Whenever I was in college... Uh, I was a business major, and for our senior project, our final project, the project that we needed to pass in order to graduate, they gave us specific roles. There was marketing, there was sales, there was uh, distribution, there was all these different roles for our business class. But they gave me the wonderful position of CEO, and I took it seriously, maybe a little too seriously. I'm like, this is my moment. It was a hypothetical shoe company. I was like, this is my field night moment. This is my Nike moment. I'm going to lead this. They're going to write a book about me, Shoe Dog Part 2. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> but I got a little too serious, but I would organize. I would delegate. I mean, I thought I was doing a phenomenal job. Uh, but I had one final part of combining everything and then putting it and then bringing it to uh, the actual day of the project so that we could, we could share our project and then we could pass the grade. But I recorded and I put all of the files on a CD. Uh, you had at that time the option of a CD or a floppy disk. For those that don't know, back in the day, we, we couldn't just airdrop things. 
We had to go through this process to burn it to a CD. Most of you kind of have your slow jams and stuff like that back in the day that you gave out as gifts. is great. But I burned it on a CD and I brought it to class. And we were finally up about to give our presentation. And I went to go put it in the computer. But it wasn't, it didn't accept CDs. It actually accepted only floppy disks. Remember, I'm CEO. All of our grades, whether we pass or fail, and the teacher was, the professor was very clear, if you don't pass, that's not on me. You're going to have to do this class all over again, come back another semester. And I didn't have it, but I remember I had it saved in my email. And thank God, there was a, a girl there who was the teacher's assistant who had the login to the computers. I didn't even have a login. Who was able to log in, I was able to pull up the files, and we were able to give the presentation. But I learned a, a really big lesson in that moment when it comes to power and how to steward it rightly and to make sure that I'm prepared to receive the power that I'm forgiven, that I'm been given. But here's what we know about power. Power is actually just a magnifier. It makes us more of who we are. People say this person got power and they changed. And the answer is actually they didn't change. That was, all, that was always in there. It, the situations and circumstances weren't right for them to actually get it out. They're simply showing us who they are. This is why we should focus not on being discovered, but on being developed. And this is David's story, and this is David's life that he walked through. He's finally gotten to the point where he's at rest in God's timing, and he's living in this moment in the land of the Philistines in Ziklag. That's where we picked the story up last. And he's there, and there was an Amalekite that came to him who told him that Saul was dead. This is the big news. This is bad news for David. But on the other side of it, there was also good news. And the good news was the throne was now vacant. The person who was chasing you, the person who wanted to kill you, is now dead. But it's interesting to me, and I believe the Bible points this out, because if you remember, the reason why Saul lost the kingdom in the first place is because he did not destroy the Amalekites. And an Amalekite is actually said in this moment to be the one to actually finally take his life in the battlefield, and then gives this message. And it really is telling us this lesson, that the things in our lives that we don't eliminate, the sin in our lives that we don't eliminate will eventually eliminate us. We have to walk this process out to bring it to God and humble ourselves before him. But I want you to look at David's response. 2 Samuel 1, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan. For the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then look at this, verse 19. Your pride and your joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. See, David did not let hatred, bitterness, resentment get in his heart. He could have. Saul was chasing him. He was running for his life. He wasn't able to even be in the promised land anymore. He was outside, wasn't close with his family. And in this moment, he still laments for Saul because God had placed him there. But at 30 years old in this, in this moment, 15 years ago when he was first anointed, he was finally about to step into what God had for him, but it had to do with this idea of power. And here's what I feel like David understood. He understood three things about power. And the first one is this. Where power is given from. Where power is given from. Psalm 62, verse 11. This is a psalm actually written by David. And look how straightforward he says, God has spoken plainly. 
So this is the plain truth for everyone to realize. And I have heard it many times. Power, oh God, belongs to you. So in case anyone has any question, in case anyone has any doubt where power comes from, it comes from God. Here's what this means. That all other power is delegated power. It's power that will be transferred at one time. God's power doesn't transfer because he's sovereign. He is the ultimate power. But every power on this earth will eventually transfer their power and God will give it to someone else. But we need to understand where it comes from because corruption is actually the fruit of forgetting where power comes from. You've seen people, they get power and they abuse it. They use it for selfish means instead of the reason why it was ultimately given. And here's why. Because they don't fear God. If they understood that they would be held accountable for the power and the influence that God had given them, and we're all going to take this test just so you know. We're all going to be in a place of favor, the influence that God has for us, where we're leading in whatever capacity that God has. But if we are able to understand this, it would actually stop a lot of the striving and the hurry that we experience in our lives. We would actually experience peace. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Notice it says steps. He's going to guide you in every single step that you take. Many times he's not going to show you every step. He's just going to show you the next step. And as you take the next step, the other step will become clearer and clearer. But there's a process that every single one of us are going to have to walk through. But it was interesting as I read this passage, so many times we've heard this quote, and you can tell me if you've heard this quote, the devil is in the details. How many of you have heard that quote, said it? And I understand it doesn't mean like the actual devil, but here's what this verse says to me, that God actually delights in the details of our lives. Many times we think, oh, this is too small. I don't need to bring it to God, but God's like, actually, I would love to talk about that. I would love to speak into every single detail of your life to lead you into the steps and the ways that you should go because we're supposed to live by hearing his voice. And every time David does that, it goes well for him. And every time he doesn't, it doesn't go well for him. And it's a message to every single one of us today. But here's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 2. It says, it happened after this, David inquired or asked of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go? And he said to Hebron. And then verse 4. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So there was a fresh anointing that came for him to carry out the promise that God had for him. And he's finally being accepted. But it's interesting to me. The throne is vacant. But David still inquired of God as far as what to do. He did not assume what seemed obvious. You've anointed me king. Saul is no longer there. Three of his sons are already dead. So clearly, that means I'm just supposed to step in. And I'm supposed to do this on my own. And God said, and he was willing to wait for God's timing because you cannot talk about trust without trust being connected to God's timing. You can't separate the two. If you trust God, you also have to trust in his timing. But 2 Samuel 3 tells us this. Now, there was a long war, a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So even as David is closer to the promise, he's been anointed king, he still faces opposition. The opposition actually came from Abner, who was Saul's cousin, 
who was a commander of the armies, and he ended up setting up one of Saul's sons named Ishbosheth, which means man of shame, over Israel. So David is actually only reigning for seven and a half years more. After he's anointed king, seven and a half years later, he's still just the king of Judah. He's not the king of everything, and here's why. Because he wasn't going to force people to reign in their lives. See, David is the same as Jesus. He's a type of Jesus. Jesus will not rule and reign in your life until you invite him in to do so. You must invite him in. And the children of Israel weren't ready yet at this time. See, this is a picture. Remember, there's a the war between Saul, which represented the flesh, and David, who was a man after God's own heart with the spirit. Galatians 5 tells us that there is a war that's happening between the flesh and the spirit. And they're warring against each other so that we don't always do what we believe that we should be doing. But here's what it says, and I believe that it's the same, and this is the, really the process of sanctification for every single believer. It's that the flesh should get weaker and weaker, but the spirit in our lives should get stronger and stronger every single day. The question for all of us is, is are we willing to give Jesus everything? Or are we just going to say, hey, you, you can have Hebron, you can have this part of my life. But I'm, I'm going to keep this to myself. You can have my past. Thank you for the forgiveness. But I'm going to keep my future in my hands. I trust myself a little bit more. Or are you finally going to give everything to him and submit and surrender to his will? In 2 Samuel verse five, chapter 5, it finally all comes together. And Abner hands over the kingdom to David, who was the rightful ruler. And it said, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, indeed, we are your bone and flesh. And in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd. You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over them. Therefore, all the elders came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over all Israel. And he reigned a total of 40 years over the entire nation of Israel. So this is David's life. This is David's story. He's walking through a process. But we don't always like this word submit. We fight against it. We want other people to submit to us if we're honest. But we don't necessarily like it when we have to submit to other people. Or we have to submit to God. It's hardwired in us when we're young. My kids, we got Alexa at our house. And my kids love to talk to Alexa. And here's why. Because Alexa does whatever they tell Alexa to do. <laughs> Alexa, turn on the lights. Alexa, play this song. Alexa, do my math homework. Whatever they want Alexa to do, Alexa does. But here's the interesting thing when it comes to God. We can't embrace God's sovereignty without also embracing submission. We have to come to the place where we embrace submission to his Sovereignty, because when things are out of order, the oil does not flow. It wasn't until David actually got his life in the right place that the oil began to flow two more times. A total of three times was he anointed. First by God, and then two confirmed in front of people. But there has to be a process where we walk it all the way out, because power comes from God. Here's the second thing David understood. Whom power is given to. Whom power is given to. See, God's power is given to those who are willing to accomplish God's purposes. But power without purpose creates a tyrant. 
This is Saul, by the way. Saul was very petty. But here's what I realized. Pettiness, and I've said it before, but I'm saying it again. Pettiness overtakes the person who is disconnected from their purpose. Saul chased David around all over the place for years instead of actually establishing his kingdom. Because he was after David. David was continuing to walk out his purpose, continuing to trust God, but Saul wouldn't let him walk it out. But here's, here's whom power is given to humble people. Here's why. God can trust them. They are willing to serve God's purposes. Can you maintain a heart, a servant's heart, after you've been promoted? After you've been given power? After you've been given authority, can you still maintain a servant's heart? Because here's all promotion means in the kingdom of God. Promotion simply means I now have an opportunity to serve more people. God can trust people like that. He can promote people like that. He can elevate people like that. We don't have to advance on our own. We can simply trust God to, be, to promote us. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. This is Jesus speaking about himself. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is your Lord and Savior, the one who we are, have a heart to be conformed to his image. He's saying, I came to serve, not to be served. See, leadership and power needs to be used in the act of serving other people. And as David stepped into his kingdom, the first thing he does is actually right the wrongs for the things that were unconquered. He actually goes first after Jerusalem, which was a big deal because it's strategically placed between Judah, but also the rest of the northern tribes. So he was saying, I'm going to choose a neutral place so that I can bridge the divide, because David was very wise in the way that he carried himself. But as he goes to overtake Jerusalem, they actually make fun of him. He said, there's no way that you can get in here. If you've ever been to Israel, it's because if you go to Jerusalem, you actually have to walk uphill, and you would have a disadvantage if you are going to try to overtake it. But David ends up getting in and conquering a land that Joshua was told to conquer long before, 400 years beforehand. And here's what it says about David in his life. And David became more... And more powerful, because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. See, God doesn't have a problem with giving you more power, as long as you understand why you have it. The fact and the truth that he's with you. The fact that you have his presence with you. Because he was not done with opposition. The Philistines, when they heard that he was king over all Israel, they came at David once again. Because... People, preachers say it's the backside of the blessing. With every promotion also comes problems. With every opportunity, you also face opposition. Because when you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, you're also a target. And now David became a target, whereas before they weren't attacking him. But I want you to listen to what David does. In 1 Chronicles 14, starting in verse 10, it said, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, by the way, he started out with that, do you think he gets victory or not? Of course he does. But we're going to look at a, a different passage here in a second. Saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to him, go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So they went up to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, I did it. That's not what he said. He's humble in this moment. He said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand. 
God did it. He used and worked through me in order for it to happen. Like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, they called the name of that place Baal Perazim. Verse 13. Then the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley. But look at this. Therefore, David inquired again of God. Same people that he's facing against, but this is a different battle. See, many times we say, if God did it before, he'll do it again, and that's true. But how he will do it, the methods that he uses will not be the same to defeat your enemy today that he used yesterday. We have to trust him in that moment and inquire and ask, God, what are you calling me to do in this moment? He said, and God said to him, you shall not go up after them, circle around them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. Because he said, I'm about to get involved. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall go out to battle, saying, God is there, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. So David did as God commanded, and they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. See, even as king... David remained humble before God. He inquired of him. The first time he went out, won the battle. Second time, God told him to wait for me. You wait. Is there any other time in the New Testament where Jesus says to his disciples, you need to wait for the power to defeat the, dark, the darkness? Don't go. Wait. Because you, see, many people don't realize God wants to go before you but if you're in such a rush, he won't be able to. You have to be able to take the time to wait for him, for the power to advance whatever God is calling you to advance. We have to be able to wait on God. But David also had a heart to bring the ark back. He didn't want to have the power of God without the presence of God. He had the right heart. He had the right intentions. Unfortunately, here's how it starts out. And let me know if you can catch the difference. First Chronicles 13, verse 1 through 4. Then David consulted with all his officials, including the generals and captains of his army, so the, the military power and might. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. So the people, if you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and the Levites, in their towns and pasturelands. Let us invite them to come and join us, it is time to bring the ark back, the ark of our God. For we neglected it during the reign of Saul. There was a little dig right there, but I'm going to ignore it. And we're going to continue reading. The whole assembly agreed to this. So the people agreed. For the people could see it was the right thing to do. So the, could the people see it was the right thing to do? Yes, they could. Where's God in this? Because if you know this story, he eventually gets the ark there, but it takes two tries. And the way that they actually brought the ark in was the same way the Philistines gave the ark back to them. It was on a cart. But see, God meant his presence. The ark of the covenant represented the very presence of God, and it was meant to be carried by the Levitical priests. And here's why. Because the presence of God is weighty. And if you're going to receive it, you have to receive it the, God, the way that God intends for it to be received. And David gets angry. At God, And for, it's three more months before he goes back and finds out the right way to do it. And he brings the ark back in. But he didn't inquire of the Lord of the way he should do it beforehand. And it ended up delaying what he eventually wanted. 
But David, still in his humility, continues walking this out. And David finally had rest from his enemies in this moment. And as he's sitting in his beautiful house, he's thinking, the Ark of the Covenant has finally gotten here. I'm sitting in this nice house, but this Ark has a tent. I want to build a temple. I want to build a house for God. And if you read this story, Nathan actually tells him, hey, do what's in your heart. God is with you. Then God has to come back and correct Nathan. Nathan has to go back and say, I'm sorry, yeah, no, don't do it. Because that wasn't in God's plan. It was David's desire, but it was not God's request. See, our noble desires don't dictate God's plan. David was a man of war. He actually shed a lot of blood. He was saying the temple is actually going to be built in a time of peace. You're supposed to actually set up the next generation today and prepare for what I have for them. But during David's reign over his 40 years, the territory of Israel was actually multiplied tenfold. That's what his call was to do. He was a warrior. He was a worshiper and a warrior. Solomon was different. He was a man of wisdom and wealth to the point where silver in his house was useless. Everything was paved in gold. He had gold everywhere. Probably even had gold teeth. I don't know. That's not in the Bible. I just made that up, so don't go looking for it. It's not there, okay? But that's how wealthy Solomon was. But I love it. David's response to David's intentions desire, and desires are no. See, a humble person can accept a no from God and still maintain purity of heart. So many times we have these desires that may be good. But here's what a humble person asks. God, what can I do? Not, God, God, here's what I will do. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I know you asked me this, but here's what I'm willing to do. A humble person will accept what God has. 2 Samuel verse 7, 8, 9, this is God's response to him. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and it made you a great name, like the name of great men who are on the earth. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So David wanted to build a house for God. God said, no. God said, I'm actually going to build your house. Noble intentions, great desire, but I'm actually going to build your house. And this was, would have been big for David because you got to remember, he had just seen the collapse of the house of Saul. And God in this moment saying, you're not even asking for this because I see your heart. I'm actually going to build your house because you had an honor for me. And this is ultimately culminated in the incarnation of Jesus. That a kingdom that would last forever, a kingdom that would have no end, because Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, is called the son of David. I don't know if you remember in Mark 10, Mark 10, when blind Bartimaeus is calling out, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him to be quiet, and he said, once again, Jesus, son of David. See, Jesus recognized that he was saying, you believe I'm the Messiah. And Jesus ultimately heals him, and this is what he's calling out to this is who the people were waiting for because of this prophecy. Luke 1, verse 31 through 33 says that Jesus, very plainly, is the answer to this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, 
and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. That's where I got the title from, the throne. Very clever, I know. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is fulfilled many years later. And now Jesus as the Messiah, as the king, is ruling and reigning forever. But because David humbly accepted God's no, he could also accept God's yes. It takes humility on both sides. This past week, we were eating dinner as a family, and we were talking to our kids, and uh, one of my daughter's wallets was right in front of me, so I opened it up. There were a couple of dollars in it. I was like, ooh, look, I finally found some money. This is great. And she quickly grabbed her wallet from me, and I was like, what are you doing? That's, that's our money. She's like, no, this isn't our money. This is my money. And I didn't say, hey, I'm the one who gave it to you, but that's not important. So I said, Let's, I'll make a deal with you. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. And she was in such a defensive posture at this time, she said, no. And then her eyes got really big. She was thinking about in her head what she just said, and she realized that she changed her answer and said, yes. What's yours is mine. I'm in for that. The exchange doesn't seem so bad now. So many times with God, we don't realize how good his exchange is. As we give him all of who we are, he gives us all that he has. His power, his reign, his majesty. He gives us life. He gives us hope. He gives us joy. This is what God does for every single person who is willing to come to him. But it's important for us to realize and remain humble because that's who, whom power is given to. And here's the third and final one, why power is given. David understood why power is given. Acts 10, 38, it said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil and God was with him. Here's why you're given power, to help people, to do good and help people. This is why God placed you where he's placed you. So many times we make this much bigger than it has to be. Can you do good with where you are? What can you do that no one else can do with the position and the power and the authority that God's given you? Walk that out. Do good in that space. Here's, listen to David. and said, in 2 Samuel verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, So David knew, he knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he exalted his kingdom. Here's why he knew. For the sake of his people, Israel. See, the world thinks power is for their sake. People who are in the kingdom of God realize God has given you power for the sake of others. He hasn't given you power just to use for yourself. The question is for all of us, are we going to leverage the power that God has given us for our benefit or for the benefit of others? Are we going to use the power to serve other people? But with David, this rings true. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, it said, Then the king asked him, this is Ziba, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? This is Saul he's asking about. The one who tried to kill him. The one who was throwing spears at him. The one who continually attacked him. 
He said, I want to show God's kindness to them. I realize God has given me power. He's given me power to show his kindness, not my kindness, to other people. Zebra replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. Jonathan's name, son's name was actually Mephibosheth. You can say that 10 times fast. It's great. I'm going to refer to him as M going forward, okay? <laughs> M was running and actually running. He was being carried away. And it said whenever Saul was being defeated and whoever was carrying him dropped him and he became crippled in both of his feet. He's living in a place called Lodabar. It literally means no pasture. And David's asking and he's looking for him in this moment. And here's why he's looking. He's like, I have a covenant with your father. So I'm going to take care of you. And it says this in uh, 2 Samuel 9 verse 7. So David said to him, that's M. Do not fear, because he came to him fearful. Whenever a king's in place and a king is searching for the former king's kids, he was right to be in fear. He said, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. See, David is actually a picture of God's grace to us and what he does for Mephibosheth. What he does in this moment, he did not have to do. Jonathan is dead. But there was a covenant that he had and the covenant that we're also a part of with Jesus as lost sinners and a gracious Savior. This is what all of us get. In the same way that Mephibosheth... M, we're going back to it. See, I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> In the same way that M was born rejected and fearful, we are born rejected and fearful. In the same way M experienced a fall and could not walk, we experienced a fall and we could not get ourselves to God. In the same way that M would perish without help, without God's help, we would all perish. In the same way we are hiding, we are poor, we are weak, we are lame and fearful before our king comes to us. And we separated ourselves from the king because we did not fully know him or his love for us. Here's the grace. Jesus sought us out before we sought him, and he accepts us into his family. The king's kindness is extended to us and is based on his covenant. The king returns more to us than what we lost, and even though we were hiding from him, we have privilege of provision at the king's table, and he has given us new life, and he has given us an inheritance. That's good news for every single one of us of what Jesus does in our lives. So he's given us power to help other people and accomplish his purposes on this earth. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every message, we ask this question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? We're all in different places of our lives, but some of us are in that season where we have more influence, we have more authority, we have more power than we may have thought we'd ever get. Some of us are younger and we're coming up into that place and the way that you steward today will shape your tomorrow. In a moment here, we want to respond. And one of the ways that we can respond here in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to go into one more worship song, but a prayer team is going to come down front and they want to pray with you. Don't leave here today with the same burdens that you came in with. 
We believe that God answers prayer and he wants to meet you where you are today. So join your faith with someone else. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to come down and receive prayer, but we want to pray for you. It doesn't even have to be about the message, but we want to pray with you. So I'm going to pray, and if you need prayer for anything at all, even as I begin talking, you can come down for prayer. And other, other, others of us, we're going to respond in worship. But Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you first and foremost that you are a loving God, and because you're a loving God, the, the truth that you have all power is comforting. It gives us peace, it gives us hope, it gives us rest. So we say today that we rest in that fully. Help us to be people that steward your power, that steward your presence well. Not for our sake, Lord, but for the sake of others. Continue to lead us by your spirit and continue to delight in the details of our lives. May we be a people that walk by faith, that walk by your voice, and that walk in your ways. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.